The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Well, hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Feliz Navidad. Oh, yes. Merry Christmas. It's Christmas. I don't think I can say Happy Hanukkah, though, can I? Yeah, why is not? It, is it Hanukkah now? Hanukkah it was on the 12th. Okay. But so it goes for later. like... Eight days. Eight days. Okay, so, so we just missed it, but still, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, what else do we got? I don't know. Anything Hanukkah, else? Kwanzaa, Christmas, you Merry- know, happy holidays. That's all encompassing. Exactly. Because really, I think no matter where you are on the planet, you celebrate something this time of year. That's true. And it's a, it's, it's a good feeling. It's a good time of year. It is. And you know what? It's a great time of year to be in rehab. Yes. And I say that legitimately because I've spent many, many, many holiday seasons completely out of my mind messed up. And I know for a fact that there's lots of other people out there that are completely out of their mind messed up and families are having to deal with it today right? right. and they'll have to deal with it tomorrow yep. and the next day until they decide they've had enough and they're going to send them to treatment. And it's always the slowest time of year in treatment. I always tell people, why wait? Why wait? Why wait? But people do. And you know, now that Christmas will be said and done, I'm sure we'll see our phones ringing of people saying, oh my God, you were right. That was awful. Well, you said it happened after Thanksgiving. It did happen after Thanksgiving. You know, because you had people that were supposed to come in before, and then they didn't. And then the, you know, the relatives are calling you up, you know, the Friday afterward and going, oh my God, it was just a horrible holiday. Yeah. See, I was- We warned you. (laughs) I was, see, I was the type of addict that, and this is some, this is the flip side of what happens to some people. Some people go to family gatherings for the holidays and stuff and are just complete messes. Right. Cause chaos, cause drama, cause all sorts of problems. I was the type, I just didn't show up. There you go. Okay, well, I guess I there's I guess there's some advantage in that. You yeah, didn't show I, up wasted, you just didn't show up. I couldn't I couldn't confront it. I couldn't deal with seeing my family, seeing everyone, and everyone saying, Oh, Jason, it's it's been so long. How are you? Yeah. And I'm like smile and be like, everything's fine. Ooh, it's not great. fine. <laughs> everything wasn't fine. I'm as fine. high as a kite, but hey. I mean. Oh, oh God. It was it was bad. I mean, and that comes back to like a very, very What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like raw data that I that I have. It's that no addict likes to be an addict. Right. No addict has ever been found to like to be an addict. In spite of the way they may act. In spite of the way they may act. Yeah. You know, when you see them running around, stealing, lying, losing jobs, you know, taking advantage of everybody, manipulating everybody, all in the name of getting high, underneath all that, they don't like it. It's not fun anymore. Once you're an addict, it's not fun. Right. I mean, when you start using drugs, it's fun. You don't have to deal with anything. And things are kind of uh, laissez-faire. Is that the right way to say that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't have a care in the world. And you're just enjoying not feeling, not dealing with anything. And then you get the physical addiction. Then you don't take it one day and realize, why am I so sick? And then so you keep using to keep that to go to keep that at bay. And then, you know, after a long series of bad decisions, you've got a full blown addiction and it's not fun. There's no enjoyable parts of it anymore. It's like smoking. I know tons of cigarette smokers that say, I don't even know why I do this. I don't even enjoy this. Right. Um, But they continuously do because of the addiction of nicotine. And addiction is an addiction. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. Yep. And so no addict wants to put the family through that. No addict wants to put themselves through you know, everything that happens on the holidays. And hopefully we're here warming some people's living rooms on a cold day and giving them some hope 
that things next year will be okay. Yes. And hopefully, you know, maybe some people are like, okay, this is the final straw. This is the last holiday Mm -hmm. he's going to ruin or she's going to ruin for us. And what can we do? And hopefully they're finding the podcast and they can contact you. Yeah. You know, and, and bring their loved one in or get you to do an intervention or what have you. But it's, yeah. The holidays are stressful for everybody, everybody, you know, and especially, I think, for addicts. So now is the time. And don't wait until after the New Year's. Okay, it's Christmas mm-hmm. Day, but don't wait until after the New Year's. Do it now. Get them in yeah, now. Absolutely. You know, that's a New Year's resolution that doesn't have to wait until January 1st or 2nd. That can start today. Yeah. New Year's resolution. I will not enable my addict anymore. There you go. How about that? There you go. And Narconon's open today. We it's are. Christmas Day, but it was open all day today. We're open. And it'll be open tomorrow because addiction doesn't take a holiday and therefore treatment doesn't take a holiday. And a lot of us don't because you know? a lot of us were in treatment during the holidays and there were people there that helped us through it. This yes. is, it's rough to yeah. be away from your family for the holidays. I mean, it is. And yeah. so there are people there to help us. And so we're there to help other people get through their rough holiday season. And you know what? I always tell people, hey, this is the last holiday you have to spend away from your family. Right. Or I tell families, this is the last holiday, you know, you have to visit your loved one in treatment because they're going to get this. Yep. They're going to be okay. And next year you can have the holiday of your dreams without, you know, having, you know, to hide the elephant in the room. That's an addict nodding off at, you know, every, (laughs) in every room of the house or disappearing or doing tens of thousands of other things that they do that call attention to the fact that something's wrong. Next year you can have a great holiday. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, that's our, that's our hope for you. That's our hope for the future for you, for anybody that's listening for you and your loved ones, that, yeah. you, that this is the last holiday that you have to go through this and that next year all is all is well. Yeah, I'm dreaming of a sober Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you will have, you have a sober Christmas. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I just, I started <laughs> you don't have to that. just dream of it, no, but I, there you go. <laughs> I just had that song, White Christmas, going through my head. And so I thought, well, I'm dreaming of a sober Christmas. Yeah. By the way, if you can hear my little bells... Jingle bells. On the recording, that's because I'm wearing my holiday garb with my little jingle bell earrings. There we go. go. (laughs) You know, you said something interesting to me today that, you know, I thought we could probably comment on, and I know you wanted to talk about purpose, but one of the things you said was that your relationship with your mom and dad now, Mm -hmm. after having become sober, is even better than the relationship that you had before you started using drugs. Absolutely. And it was funny because I was thinking that while we were talking. And um, it's absolutely true. And the funny thing is I hear that quite often Mm -hmm. from people that do Narcanon is that their life was okay before drugs. Then things weren't okay and they did drugs. Then things definitely weren't okay. And all their relationships were failing. But... Since doing the program, getting sober and staying clean for a number of years and actually working on those relationships, they become better than they were before the person did drugs. Like when I was a little kid, I never got along with my dad. We always Mm -hmm. were at odds with each other. My mom was my biggest enabler and I was a huge mama's boy, which made her completely over-involved in my life to the point that any stress that I had was her stress. And the family was just stressed out. And then my little sister was there kind of watching all this happen on the outside of it. And, um, you know, obviously through my addiction, my relationship with my parents was not good. Right. I didn't know how to be a son. I didn't know how 
to treat my parents. I didn't know how they were supposed to treat me. I just, I didn't know. And, you know, there was always, before I was an addict, there was always a level of strain. I remember every time we'd have a family vacation, the first thing that happens is me and my dad get in a fight. Mm. And then we work it out, and then everything's fine. And then, you know, my mom was always over-involved in my schoolwork. um, And if I couldn't do something, she'd do it for me. (laughs) And she was just so, like, helicopter mom-ish that there was always that level of stress. And then going through addiction, you know... We got to blow all that out of the water and see all it was for what it really is. Mm -hmm. And now it's like I have this amazing relationship with my family that I never had before. And I don't think I would have it had I not been an addict because Mm -hmm. I never understood them. They never understood me. I was a very weird little kid. I had lots of little neurotic issues and stuff. My parents were always on this quest to try and fix me Uh, somehow. Okay. Like. I had little quirks. I, I, I developed tics when I was a little kid. I, uh, I was very impulsive. I was very outspoken. And it was, hard, it was probably hard for them to deal with. Right. And there was, it was, there was always this quest to fix Jason through, through my childhood. And then later on in life, it became this quest to fix me as an addict. Right. And it wasn't until I actually figured myself out that I could figure them out. And then we could all find this common ground to establish a wonderful relationship. And I'm telling you, me and my dad have had a great relationship since I've been sober. That's and, awesome. And before, we were always at odds to some point. I mean, we'd always, we'd we loved each other. I love my dad. I always have. He was always loved me. But we we would hit, we'd bump heads. I think we were too similar mm-hmm. in some ways. We didn't know how to communicate. Yep. Um, and uh, I was able to just forge an amazing relationship with them and i've heard it before from people that have gone through addiction and come out the other side you know bright and shiny they experience something similar you know i have a life beyond my wildest dreams you know i have a life more than what i ever thought i could have because i was an addict Mm -hmm. i think i was by being an addict i was awarded certain life lessons that other people don't get to experience or they experience it so late in life that it's like does, does it doesn't even matter right and um a lot of people don't have the luxury of being able to stop, go somewhere for three and a half, four months, and just work on yourself <laughs> and work on all your issues and work on all your insecurities and work at all the things that make you you, but it's the parts of you that you don't like. Right. And you actually get to handle that. You actually get to deal with that. And you know, it's funny. When I was, so something I used to do was the graduate officer post at Narconon. I, I used to keep in touch with all the people that left and then we stay in touch for two years. I've now turned that over to Derek uh, who uh, has a little bit more time to do it because I've been extremely busy. So something that they would run into a lot is they would go home and immediately, you know, they'd start fighting with their family and there's all this argument, all this stress and you know, you know, mom and dad are just, you know, all over, all over their case about everything and have them on a very short leash and they're just arguing back and forth. And I got the, the graduate calling me all upset. I got the parents calling me all upset. And then I get back on the phone with the addict after handling the family and they're just so stressed out and they just can't believe how they don't understand, you know, where you're at, where I'm at now and blah, blah, blah. And I say, whoa, (laughs) slow down, (laughs) stop. Um, Let me tell you a little secret. You just worked on yourself for four months or three months or however long you were in the program and you got to handle all your issues right or at least a great percentage of them right 
your family didn't get the chance to do that. So you need to cut them a little bit of slack and allow for, I call them growing pains, allow these growing pains to go through because you'll learn how to have a relationship with each other again. And you should teach your family some of the things you learned at Narcanon because it'll help them. That's and, a really, really good point. That's a, that's a that's a really good point that the addict, when they go through rehab, especially at Narcanon, is they are getting better themselves, but the family hasn't had that opportunity. And so... The family's still the same. Exactly. They're still the same. They're still scarred. Yep. They're still emotionally traumatized. Heavy duty, yeah. Emotionally traumatized by the addiction. Yep. They have gotten, in what in their minds, is a three or four month vacation from dealing with that. Yep. And... When now that the addict's back home, the addict just restimulates everything that they That's were right. experiencing before. That makes total and sense. Having them back in the house, the family doesn't know how to deal with it. So the first and most logical way for them to deal with it is to immediately be on the defensive about everything. Yep. Um, and sometimes they can be very accusatory and and building back up trust. I mean, the addict has thing. to work at that because. You know, he has betrayed the tr- he or she has betrayed the trust over and over, over. and over again. And the family is kind of prepared for that to happen again. Right. Because it's happened over and over again. Do you know? Yeah. And we've worked and, and, you know, in most cases, we've worked the student through all that. Yeah. All those, you know, states of changing the relationship with their family and, you know, making up for what they've done and trying to like come out the other side. And the family hasn't gotten a chance to experience it because all the family knows is the person that went into treatment. They don't know the person that just came out. That's right. And there's, they have to get to know them. That's um, right. My family didn't trust me for, I mean, years. Uh, you know, and you, the, here's the thing. Families don't ever forget. That's right. We talked about that. You know. They forgive, but they don't forget. They don't forget. And so it takes time to build up trust again. And, you know, I wish there was an Arcanon for parents. Like simultaneous to their loved one being in treatment, they should go to like parent and Arcanon treatment. There you go. I think it could help them just as much as. It helps the students. I think you're right. I think you're, I think you're right. Because yeah. it's a hard thing to deal with. I couldn't imagine having a loved one that was an addict. Yeah. And I was the addict of my loved ones. And right. so it's a very, very difficult thing to watch. And, you know, I know we keep coming back to the fact that it's the holidays and this is our little holiday episode. <laughs> but right. this is a time of year where it's the most difficult. Because this is the time of year where you can't really hide it from the rest of the family anymore. Right. About what's going on. I know a lot of families hide the fact that there's an addict amongst them. Right. Sometimes grandma doesn't know. Sometimes aunts and uncles don't know. Right. And this is a time of year where it's really, really stressful for families trying to hide the fact that there's an addiction. Well, here's something that I've learned throughout life. If you don't deal with something, you don't confront, you don't face something, you can't handle it, and you're not going to until you do. And there's... I, I we've said this like being and a dead it'll horse. It'll come up it, and bite it, you in the butt too. It will, but it's like being a dead horse. This is Chris. <laughs> Christmas is not the reason to not handle something. That's right. Like this. That's exactly right. And so, um, I know you wanted to bring up our interview with Pam Bondi. Just if there's anything we want to cover on that, I think you know we talked about it after we did it. But I just more and more when I think about some of the things that she said, I am impressed with the fact that. You know, so often, and this is not a political podcast, but so often the politicians that we're used to don't make the tough decisions because they're afraid of how it's going to affect them politically and how it's going to come across to the different constituents that they have. And here you have one of the top elected officials in the state of Florida, and she is flat out not afraid of anybody, 
not afraid of anything right. and not afraid to do the right thing. And that's what impressed me when I met her back in 2010 or 2009 mm-hmm. before she was the attorney general, just not afraid to do the right thing. Right. And I think that that, you know, that came up in the interview. She's just not afraid to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. She will make the tough decision and sign those executive orders outlawing the different, you know, chemical makeup of spice or what have or you. Fentanyl. Just, yeah, she just will, you know, get on the phone to the legal counsel or CEO of Amazon and eBay and say, by the way, you know, you're selling pill presses that, you know, people can use to make fake Xanax, you know, Mm -hmm. she's just not afraid to do whatever it takes. And I think that, you know, I just, I can't applaud her enough for that. And that's the type of person we need in office here. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Everywhere. And sometimes we get that, but more often than not, we get the guy who's like, you know, going to just sit on the sidelines and never make the tough decisions because they're afraid of how it will be perceived, you know? Yeah. But anyway. I think I think what she's doing is great. I'm so glad we got, you know, an opportunity to interview her. Yep. And I think we're, the direction she's taking the state of Florida in is a really positive direction. I think it's good. And speaking of states, oh. OMG, did you see the article about how Nebraska and Nevada are now looking at the possibility of using fentanyl to execute prisoners no way i'm sorry that that grosses me out i mean that is disgusting okay so we know you know it says that oh you know fentanyl is causing you know overdoses and deaths of addicts right and now they want to they want to specifically and you know purposefully use it to execute prisoners who are on death row Mm -hmm. i'm like i i what in in what universe does this become okay? It's not okay. But, I mean, that goes to show how deadly fentanyl is. I mean, basically, I think the way it was probably came up with was, well, we need to find a cheaper alternative to the drugs we're using for lethal injection now. Lethal injection or electric chairs or whatever. Yeah, they and don't so electric chairs anymore. fentanyl is very cheaply derived and gotten from China, we might as well just use it to kill people <laughs> uh, on death row because it just makes sense. Because look at all the people it's killing on the street every day. Just, that just makes, that's disgusting to yeah. me. I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh I mean, that, I, <laughs> Nebraska and Nevada, those are the two states that are looking at it. We're, we're killing ourselves with fentanyl. But if we kill someone else, the government may kill us with fentanyl. Wow. That's weird. I, I, I yeah. I don't know. I, 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 uh, I mean, that's my that's my comment for this it's for just, this Christmas just, Day, you let, know. Let's talk about killing people. Way to go, Nevada <laughs> and Nebraska! What a what a bright idea! You're out of your bloody minds, but there you go. Oh, that, you censored yourself. I, I did. <laughs> I did. Well, I would have said friggin' or bloody or something. I can't believe that. I, but you know, it's like the same time where I say I can't believe that. I absolutely can believe I can. it. It I makes can. absolute sense with the direction our society's been going. <sighs> You know, that yeah. we're just going to use one of these epidemic drugs to kill people on death row. Yep. Yep. That's that's interesting. I uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't even think I know what to say about it. I just, my husband sent me the article and I went, okay, that's just disgusting. I, I, I just, but I thought we could comment on it today because it's definitely um, new, new news, it, relevant. Yeah, but it's, it's creepy. Yes, it is creepy. There's actually a really like strong creepiness. Why not use heroin? Just use heroin to kill people. You could do them with an overdose, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. Okay, whatever. I don't even want to go down this road. Well, fentanyl's latest victim happens to be eight years old. Um, I read this story. You mean a, like a, a, an eight-year-old child in Detroit um, overdosed on fentanyl? How? Recently. Well, the story that I that I read was, and there's so many red flags in this story. It's like I don't even know where to start. A kid was at his grandmother's house in Detroit. The grandma saw him drinking an alcoholic beverage and didn't say anything. And then at two in the morning, the kid was found unresponsive. And then the paramedics were called. And the grandmother said to the paramedic, he was was found foaming at the mouth, unresponsive, took him to hospital. He was going to cardiac arrest, and then he died. Oh, my God. Now, the original reports said, you know, until we await toxicology reports, we're going to say it was, you know, alcohol related it was an alcohol poisoning because that's case. the only thing they know for that's sure. the only thing that they know of that got in the kid's system and so now that the toxicology reports came back he actually died of a fentanyl overdose okay so so how did he get the fentanyl well the, that's one that's the, that's one of the ways i want to one of the questions into, one of the questions i have and one of the ways i want to go into this the first question is what grandmother's letting an eight-year-old drink there's that so, I'm speechless. In, in order for this kid to have gotten fentanyl, one of two people were at this little family get together, a party, whatever was going on at the house. There was a drug dealer who left out fentanyl that the kid got into, and the kid, you know, stuck his finger in and stuck it in his mouth or something. Or there's a drug addict that left his drugs out or hit her drugs out, and the kid touched it and got it in his mouth, his nose, his eyes, whatever. Um, I don't think the kid intentionally took fentanyl right my my belief i don't think an eight-year-old is going to intentionally consume fentanyl in the way of like shooting it or snorting it or right. doing something you know that an older adult addict would do right but it, it goes to show you have to be careful who you leave your kids with because I, the kids parents were out and about doing whatever and had left their child with the grandmother and then in the grandmother's care that the child died And I, you know, because drug addiction is so prevalent these days, it's like you have to be careful who you leave your kids with, even your own family, because there may be a drug user or a drug dealer that is just not with it and leave something out for someone to get into. Okay, that is just, that is sad. That is one of the saddest stories I've heard. That is just, that, eight years old? Eight. Wow. And that, not to bring a, a really, really somber tone I think we already did that. We're going to have to bring it up. We have to bring it up a bit, not but not to bring a completely somber tone to everything. But it's like every now and then, I feel like our public and the people listening need to really understand how serious this problem is. Yeah, it's a it's a serious, serious, serious issue. And you know, while today is a day of families, you know, opening gifts and being together and all that stuff, there's a lot of other families that are experiencing the polar opposite. Yeah, and you know, it's our job, your job, my job to make people aware of what's going on, to know that there's hope, to know that there's help and to realize this thing is a lot worse than we care to give it credit for sometimes. And I like to keep it light sometimes. I really do. I like to keep it light and uptone and funny and things like that. But every now and then we need to give people a little bit of a reality check of like, 
this problem is still here and no family needs to experience what some families are experiencing. And that's the loss of a loved one during the holidays. Right. That's experiencing the holidays for the first time since someone has passed away or someone has overdosed or whatever. And you know, that's not something I wish on any family. Right. That's not something any family member needs to deal with. And so we all really need to come together this year and make those resolutions that you were talking about. I think you're right. I think you're right. And, you know, we've talked before about how, you know, there is no six degrees of separation really between anybody listening and an addict. Mm -hmm. I, you know, have mentioned before that my hairdresser's mother-in-law was addicted to painkillers. Right. And I happened to be seeing her this week for haircut. And she's got, uh, her brother had three daughters. Two of them are addicts. Right. I, I. I mean, I I gave her the information on the podcast and, you know, I said, you know, as a first step, listen to the podcast. And then I have another volunteer organization that I work with and we were doing a big education event and the administrator arrived late because her father had had a heart attack, Mm -hmm. but he's back on alcohol. He's back over abusing alcohol and you know, apparently his wife died around this time of year last year. And so the stress has hit him and now he's abusing alcohol. And it's like, and I gave her a card for the podcast. And I said, just start listening. You know, if nothing else, if you can't do anything else, you know, you can listen to this podcast and you can start getting some idea that there are people out there who, you know, have experienced the same thing and, you know, are there to help. Yeah. You know, and you know, Addiction knows no bounds. No. It really doesn't. It knows no time of year. It knows no, no economic status, no religion, no race, no anything. You know, it's just... It's, Nothing. It affects everybody. It absolutely does. You know, on the way here today, you, you wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, purpose. 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 I think purpose is... And this is, is a, a good time of year to talk about that, I, I think, think so. I, I absolutely think so. You know, purpose is one of those things that addicts lose mm. during their addiction. And what I mean by purpose is like, why am I here? Why am I alive? Why am I on this planet? What was I, what am I here to do? How am I going to change the world? What is my purpose in life? And a lot of people that we treat and, or that any treatment center treats is at, you know, a lot of addicts lose their purpose and they don't know what they're supposed to do with their lives. You know, I, I talked to an addict that was an addict for 25 years. He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've been an addict for half my life and the and an addict's purpose is to, is to get high is to get high and to numb everything out and exactly. not deal with life and to scrape by every day protecting their addiction and making sure they have their fix so they're not sick and they don't have the pain and the agony of withdrawal to come you know come back into play and you know the pain agony of life in general is too much for them yeah because they don't know how to deal with it so you know, I've had 50 year olds come into treatment and say, I've been an addict for 25 years. You know, I don't, I don't even know what my purpose is. Right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Right. I don't know my life not as an addict. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of people get to. They don't remember what their lives were like before they became addicted. Mm-hmm. They don't remember, you know, going through a 24 hour period sober, not struggling about, you know, whether or not to stay sober and not thinking about drugs and not doing drugs and all and not having drugs even part of the equation. They don't remember it, you know. With me, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a marine biologist. Oh, that yeah. was my little my little kid purpose in life. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I want to be a marine biologist because I started scuba diving when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed every part of it. And so I'm like, I want to be a marine biologist. 
And for almost seven years, I had forgotten that. Uh. It came back to me after I got sober. Um, but, you know, one day when I was going, I was, when I was an addict, I was a college graduate and I was a waiter. Right. And I was, I was, a, I was a cocaine addict and an opiate addict. And so, you know, there was one point where I, I kind of thought to myself, like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Why, why am I here? I don't even understand what I, what my whole purpose in life is because I graduated college. I was a complete drug addict. I went to work for Enterprise Rent a Car <laughs> with a psych with a psychology degree, and, uh, <laughs> and I was then I couldn't hold that down, so I was a waiter. Right. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this can't be, this can't be why, this can't be it. This, this can't, can't be all there this is. This doesn't even right. feel good. I don't even like what I'm doing on a daily basis. But you know, I was working a job where it was socially acceptable for me to use drugs. I was working a job where it was completely acceptable to have my life a complete hot mess. <coughs> to have my life a complete hot mess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was around a bunch of other people who were like lost souls. And that's the way I thought about it. We're just like a bunch of lost souls making some money to continue the debauchery of our daily lives. Yeah. And it's like really sad. It's really sick. But then I remember saying, eh, screw it. <sighs> <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I don't think too many people have a goal to be a waiter. There may be some in some cases. Some people but, do, but most people don't. But I think I'm sorry, not a waiter at a a casual family dining Italian restaurant. I understand people who are waiters at places like high end, right? That make seventy thousand dollars a year. That's totally fine. And really, talk... and really have the goal to provide a, like a whole experience. For right. People. That, that's true. But I think a lot of times that. You know, at some some other restaurants, it's it's a stepping stone to get somewhere else. But I think, you know, the one thing you may have had a purpose to be a marine biologist, and that would be really really cool. But look at your purpose now. I but mean, you're I helping people, and it wasn't until I went through my addiction that I figured out what my purpose was, and that was that was a game changer for me mm -hmm. because finding your purpose in life is huge Absolutely. because then what you do with it becomes the most satisfying thing in the entire world. And I know tons of people out there who are not addicts, who work a nine to five job, punch a clock, take their weekends off, do all these different, very, very vanilla things. And they absolutely are the most miserable people you have ever met because for some reason it's not their purpose. Right. It's not what they want to do. And you know, I was afforded an opportunity to really soul search and figure out what I wanted to do. And I remember I was at Narconon one day. I woke up and said, "I want to, I want to help people." Mm -hmm. Yeah, that feels pretty good. I want to help people. Yeah. Then I was like, "Yeah, I want to help people." And I really got into it. And I said, "Well, I've got a degree in this field, so I might as well just do it." Yeah. And then I talked to the staff, and they're like, "Yeah, you can stay on, and we'll train you, and blah 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 blah." I was like, "Sold." And the rest was history. From that point, I think what you do is is amazing, and that and that that that's another thing that's kind of cool is that opportunity is available. Yeah, totally. To people who come and go through the Narcanon program, it is. and you know, this is probably one of the only jobs you could be in where there's absolutely no stigma connected to. Your past. No, Do you're you know? actually, I don't think we'll hire you unless you have a criminal well, record. No, well, I'm kidding. No, no. no <laughs> I'm but joking. in fact, also your past almost, you know, um, helps qualify you for the it type does. of job you're it doing. It absolutely because, does. 
you know, if I were the intake person at Narcanon, you know, I think people would look at me like I was out of my mind because I I was never an addict and I don't have personal experience with it. Right. Do you know? And I think the fact that you have personal experience with it mm-hmm. and you've been through it and you right. know what they're going through, I think it qualifies you better than any college degree ever could. It and absolutely I think, does. And I think that's what's missing a lot of times, you know, in other treatment centers where the people who are you know, doing the treatment or doing the rehab, they don't have that kind of experience. Right. All they have is a college degree and they right. don't they don't have the reality any more than parents do when they're watching their loved one go through it. So, yeah. you know. Uh, purpose is a big thing because I, I, I don't know. I, I think of people who are addicts as being very lost <laughs> because you're kind of lost roaming around using drugs, not wanting to feel, not wanting to confront life. And through all that, you lose so many parts of yourself. Right. Like, I had forgotten that I wanted to be a marine biologist until a few years ago, where I woke up and I said, oh, my God, I remember that. Yep. That was, like, one of my original purposes that I thought was my purpose. But it wasn't my ultimate purpose, because now I'm doing exactly what I should be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, and what I want to be doing. Exactly. Because it's a very fulfilling thing. And, you know, I hope everyone out there, at some point, gets to experience actually truly finding their purpose. Because for an addict, it's a game changer. Because the one thing I see be a pitfall for anyone that's in recovery or, you know, coming out of addiction is if they don't find their purpose, they continue to live pretty unhappy lives. Right. And some people's purpose is to raise a family. Some people's purpose is to go, you know, back to school and become a lawyer. Some people's purpose is to make sure, finish their education and go into whatever field it is. Or There's a whole wide variety mm-hmm. of purposes out there. But when you truly find it, that is one of the cements of the foundation of your, you know, your new sober life. I agree. And it's one of those things that holds it firm because if you're miserable, you have to, you'll stop using drugs as soon as you realize you're more miserable on them than you are off them. If you feel like you're so miserable off drugs, that life is so terrible and so hard and so boring and so you know, not stimulating and enjoyable, you're never going to stay sober. Right. But you have to get to a point where you realize that life is so much better without drugs than it is with drugs. At that point where you realize that, you will stay sober the rest of your life. No question about it. Exactly. No question. And part of that's finding your purpose and finding what it is that drives you, what it is that you're passionate about, what it is that you wake up every day and you're excited to do. And you go to sleep at night very satisfied from what you've done. I agree. And that's our Christmas wish for everybody everybody. out there that they find their purpose, that they get the help if they need the help, that they contact Narcanon if they can't figure out how to get their loved one into treatment or they're not sure it's the right way to go. They contact Narcanon, 877-339-3324, narcanonsuncoast.org, and... Let's just give a shout out to Narcan on Ojai because yes, the fi- the a lot fires. of bad fires in the Los Angeles area. And I understand that actually the staff quarters at Ojai burned, burned down. down, but the facility is still there. Yeah. So let's just shout out to Ojai and say that we are thinking of them and, and that we, them. we support them and we want them, you know, to get through the fires. Okay. Yeah. Those fires are pretty bad. And, you know, we're going to talk again next week. We, as, usual. as usual. As usual. And, you know, we're getting close to the new year. And please let's everybody make it 
a sober new year for everybody. And I, I'm always excited with the idea of a new year. Yeah. Because it, it, it absolutely, it, it's a new beginning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's finally the clock's reset to zero. You get to choose how you want this year to end up. And now here's a wild thought for all of you. <laughs> Nothing is happening to you. That's right. We're creating it. Yep. On a daily basis. None of us are victims of life. None, none of us are victims of circumstance. You know, it's very easy for a family to sit back and say, oh, you know, where did I go wrong? What, how did all this happen to me? And the addict will sit there shooting up, snorting line after line saying, how did this happen to me? Right. How did I end up like this? We all take a, take a part in creating. That's right. And we can all take a part at creating the opposite of what's happening. Exactly. You want to have a happy life? You want to have a happy year? That's on you. That's on you. Let's create it. Let's create it. I want that. I create that every year. I create that every day. You have to make a decision to do that. Yep. And there might be certain steps you have to take that are uncomfortable. There might be certain steps you have to take that you might not want to take. But life isn't supposed to be easy. If you get to the part where you're like coasting through life and everything's fine, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, you're missing something. You're missing something. Um, So for all, anybody listening to this or all people sitting out there in their living rooms or in their cars or listening to their iPhones or or whatever phone they have, listening to the podcast, you can create a really good year for yourself and your family. You just have to decide to do that. That's right. And with that, that's our hope for you. That's it. Merry Christmas, everybody. And Merry Christmas to you, Joni. We'll talk again. We'll see you next week. Okay. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 